That's one of my favorite songs. Those are some of my favorite lyrics. Just the reality that if we are in Christ, if you are a son or a daughter of the Father, that he will hold you fast. The good work that he has started in you, he will complete it. He will bring it to the day of completion. We will see him face to face. Um, This life has a lot of ups and downs, a lot of ways, and our faith is weak sometimes. And yet we have the promise that Christ will hold us fast. Um, My friends, my brothers and sisters, Christ will hold us fast. And part of what he uses to hold us fast is his word. So it's a privilege just to dig in his word together. So if you'll open up back to Ephesians 5, we're going to continue on in our series through Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14 this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 8 through 14, picking up in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been teaching us about reconciliation in Christ. He's proved the point that we can only be restored to a right relationship with God through the work of Christ on our behalf. But then in chapter 4, verse 1, he's taken a transition, and since then he's really been dialing in on practical holiness. He's been talking about how if we've been reconciled to Christ, how should that change the way that we live? And he's really been honing in on the nitty-gritty, a lot of specifics, do's and don'ts, put on these things, put off those things. Uh, You can almost feel the weight of moral pressure building over the past weeks as we've worked through this. So many commands, so many imperatives, so many things that we're supposed to put off and things that we're supposed to put on. And with that pressure, that moral pressure rising, the question comes to our minds, how can we live up to these standards? Before God, how can we measure up to the righteousness that he has called us to? I just wanted to encourage you as we think about this, Paul is not setting up an impossible standard. Paul's goal in this passage is not to teach us the doctrine of justification by faith, that amazing truth that in Christ, when we are united to him, he declares us righteous. Christ's righteousness actually covers us in the stain of sin in our life. And positionally before God, we are righteous. Paul's not really trying to communicate that to us right here in this section, in this text. With all of these put-offs and put-ons, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with you, with which you are called. Do these things. Don't do these things. They're displeasing to God. He's not setting up an impossible standard. But Paul's goal here is to teach the Ephesians and to teach us that how we are supposed to live practical lives of holiness before God, how we're supposed to work out our faith if we've been reconciled to God. We really are supposed to put off those sins we really are supposed to put on those acts of christ likeness and imitating him and following after his example i think this is where some of us get bogged down in our personal experience though isn't it we come to christ we we hear the truth we hear the gospel that if we believe in him through faith 
We can be reconciled to him. We can have his righteousness cover our sins. We can be forgiven. We hear that gospel. We grasp it. But then we try to work out our faith. And we come to this point. We get bogged down in the do's, the don'ts. We get bogged down in the call to holiness that is difficult when we struggle with our remaining sin. And we lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of the whole first three chapters of Colossians where Paul has taught us about how we are reconciled to God through Christ's work. And here in our text today, Paul is actually going to circle back to the gospel. He's going to circle back to our new identity in Christ. And he's going to set that as the foundation for how we live lives of holiness. So here's my outline for us this morning. I have three points. Point number one, your old identity outside of Christ. Number two, your new identity in Christ. Number three, your new calling. So your old identity, your new identity, and your new calling. The main idea that Paul is driving at in this passage today, Ephesians 5, 8 through 14, is that your new identity in Christ is what enables you to walk in holiness and to overcome sin. It's your new identity in Christ. It's that he has called you out of darkness and into light that enables you to walk in holiness and to overcome sin. But Paul starts off by reminding us of our old identity. So let's look first at our old identity. Look at verse 8 with me. For at one time you were darkness. Paul identifies our past, our old identity, as darkness. That's the first thing I want for us to see. Uh, darkness is contrasted with light uh, frequently throughout the scriptures. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We see frequently again and again this contrast between light and darkness set up and those who are in Christ living and abiding in the light rather than the darkness. Darkness represents spiritual blindness. Uh, This idea of alienation, of being severed and separated from God and and being enslaved to all kinds of sins. They're characterized by wicked, evil darkness. The second thing about our old identity, though, he identifies it, defines it as darkness. The second thing is he, he speaks a little bit into how that darkness plays into our lives. And specifically, Paul says the darkness is not something that's outside of us. It's not something that's in our environment or surroundings or circumstances. It's something inside of us. It's something that is in our nature. I'm getting that from the lack of a crucial preposition in the text. Look at it again, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. Paul doesn't say for at one time you were in darkness. He says at one time you were darkness. It's not our environment. It's not that we're in a world of darkness or people around us are dark. Our surroundings or our circumstances are darkness. And so I have no choice just because of the environment that I am. He's saying it's in our hearts. It's something inherent. It's in our nature. It's who we are. If we're being honest with ourselves, this is really a tough pill to swallow. But it's the clear teaching of the Bible that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. If we're being honest with ourselves, we know that's true we look internally if we ask ourselves serious questions we know that's true john 3 19 says and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil you see we are those who love darkness 
There's not just evil darkness and sin in the world. There's evil darkness and sin in our hearts. The Bible calls us to to believe a lot of things about God, but also to believe things about ourselves. And if we're going to understand the gospel and be restored to a right relationship with God, we have to believe things about ourselves. And something that Paul is calling us to believe today is that apart from Christ, our identity, who we are, is darkness. If we have any question about that, we just need to ask ourselves honest questions. Do you ever find yourself doing things or doing a thing you never thought you'd be doing? suddenly find yourself doing something you never thought you would be doing? How often are your decisions driven by selfishness? What's in it for me? How does this work out in my best interest? I'm not concerned about their interests. How does this work out for me in the end? We all deal with pride. How does that pride work itself out in your life? You may ask, it may be by putting other people down with your words Maybe by more frequently talking about your strengths and your weaknesses rather than your strengths rather than your weaknesses, rather than being honest, open, honest, and transparent with your weaknesses and your sins. Your pride may show itself by way of comparison. I may not be the best person, but I'm better than so and so, and so I'm all right before God. No, Paul's saying that internally we are darkness. See, it's not just around us, it is in us. I had a patient in the emergency room who illustrated this perfectly. It's, uh, <coughs> it's always a diff- difficult thing in the emergency room. We deal with a lot of drug seekers, and so they'll create stories to come into the ER and get narcotics and other medicines that give them a high, and so they concoct all kinds of crazy stories, fake all kinds of symptoms in order to get the drugs to get their high. One day I had a girl come in with the most outrageous story I had heard yet to that day. She said that she had gone down for a nap at 5 p.m., could see, I mean, perfectly normal health, went down for a nap at 5 p.m., and then at 6.30 she woke up and she was blind. Her whole world was just shot into darkness. And she came into the ER, she was hysterical, she was freaking out. I thought, that is the most entertaining story I've heard somebody make up to get some drugs. Like, they're not even complaining of pain. If you want narcotics, you complain for pain. She said she was blind. People don't just go blind randomly. And if you have a traumatic injury to your eyes, maybe you could lose your sight. But you don't fall asleep seeing and then wake up blind. Well, it's a long story. But the short of it is that she was an IV drug abuser and she had injected with a dirty needle and she'd carried bacteria into her bloodstream and it set up camp in her heart and then her heart was spitting out clots all over her body. And so she stroked out both of her vision centers while she was sleeping and she literally woke up blind. It's an example of how our sin brings the darkness into our lives. It's not something that's out there, but it is injecting the darkness into our lives through our sin. Her sinful actions did that. And in the same way, our sinful actions bring the darkness into our lives. And Paul here is wanting us to understand a crucial lesson. And that's the true and lasting transformation. He's really in our, in this section of the book, he's dialing in on our practical lives, how we work out our faith before Christ. What he's saying is that true and lasting transformation in our lives can't happen. It can't occur 
without first acknowledging our sinful nature apart from Christ. It's like a patient, not the one I was just talking about, but it's like a patient in the ER with an infection who's in denial. They have a fever, their heart rate's skyrocketing, their blood pressure's tanking. They've got a bad infection, but they're in denial about it. We can't be changed. Our lives can't be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ if we're in denial about the sin, about the darkness in our lives. So Paul's calling us to real honest self-assessment here. We can't be like that patient in the denial that says, I'm not sick, I don't have an infection, or it's just a little infection. My My sin problem is just a little sin problem. It's a darkness that alienates us, that separates, that severs us from God. So my friends, are, are any of you that patient in denial about the sin problem in your life? Do you recognize the infection? Do you recognize the darkness in your life? Jesus is offering you antibiotics this morning. Jesus is offering you forgiveness. He's offering you life. He's offering you healing. But you need to be honest about the sin in your heart. So we've seen our old identity apart from Christ. Now, secondly, let's consider our new identity in Christ. Our new identity in Christ. Look at verse 8 again with me. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. At one time you were darkness, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. The main idea here is that we have a new identity through our union with Christ. We used to be darkness, but now we are light. There are a couple of questions here I want to ask just to to help tease out this new identity. First is, what does it mean that we are light in the Lord? If you were darkness, but now, friend, now believer in Christ, you are light in the Lord. What does it mean that we are light in the Lord? I think this involves at least two ideas, uh, one, one passive and one active. First, passively, being light means that God has illuminated our hearts. By the Spirit, He's done a work to illuminate our hearts, to open our eyes, and He's transformed us to become light in Christ. We were blind, but now we see. We were lost, but now we were found. Uh, we didn't find ourselves. God pursued us. He illuminated our hearts. He opened our eyes. He found us. He did that for us. But secondly, being light in the Lord also means that we actively reflect. Now having been transferred from darkness to light, we now reflect the light of Christ to the world around us, right? That's our call. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You see, we reflect the gospel of Christ to the lost and dying world around us. That is our call now as Christians and believers. As Paul calls us, he tells us our identity. We were darkness, but now we are light. That is part of our calling in there. This all begs the question, how? How have we been transformed from darkness to light? Why? Why in the world would God take Brad Kennison, or any sinner in this room and transfer us from darkness to light. There's nothing in me that would merit that. There's nothing in me that would deserve that. How has this happened? The answer is found in two words in our text. Look at this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in Christ. 
How can we be rescued from our old identity of darkness? How can we be transformed and have the sin inside of us eradicated? The only answer is through union with Christ. Union with Christ means that through faith we uh, enter into a relationship. We become vitally connected with Jesus. Our relationship status with God has changed. The Spirit indwells us now. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the Father. We are forgiven. Christ's perfect righteousness covers the stains of the sin that stains even our best efforts at goodness. Paul is trying to get across a crucial concept here about practical Christian living. A couple of weeks ago, Alex talked about positional holiness and progressive holiness. Positional holiness is our objective standing before God in Christ's righteousness, covering our sins. But progressive holiness is that subjective and experiential progressive growth and holiness in one's life and conduct. See, positionally in Christ, we are righteous. We have his righteousness covering us. Through faith, he has credited his righteousness to your account, believer. But we're not there yet. There's a sense of the already and the not yet. Paul talks about in the Colossians how uh, coming to faith in Christ, we've been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. That transfer has happened to you. But we also deal with the remaining sin with us. We have to deal with our progressive growth in holiness. And that's what Paul is addressing here. The principle that Paul wants us to grasp is that union with Christ, our positional holiness with Christ, is the foundation, the only foundation from which we can work out our progressive holiness and actually put off our sin and put on Christ's likeness. See, he's been talking very specifically He gave a lot of specific sins. We're to be truth tellers. We're to be honest at work. We're not to be sexually impure. He gave a lot of specifics. Now he's kind of circling back and up and getting above the scene, looking down on it. And he's giving us these principles that we're supposed to live by. And that we, in our positional holiness, as he circles back to the gospel, he says, you are believer positionally in Christ. You are righteous now. And you need to live like that. That's who you are. Become The message essentially of this text is become who you are. You are darkness. You are light. Walk as children of light. So your growth in practical holiness is really a horse and buggy situation. The horse of positional holiness always has to come first before the buggy of progressive holiness. You can think back to that ER patient, not, not the one who went blind, but the other one who's just dealing with the infection. We're in denial. You can imagine... If we snap them out of denial, or if they just their eyes open finally, they recognize, yes, I have an infection. I have a really bad pneumonia, and I need antibiotics. And then they take the antibiotics, and they start to feel better. And they're able to get up off of that hospital bed and get back to work, doing the things that they are called to do. In the same way, if we recognize the antibiotics of our positional holiness in Christ, it enables us to get up out of the sick hospital bed that we're so often stuck in, and to get to work following Christ and living in a way that is pleasing to him. But what is our calling according to this text? So this brings us to our our third and final point. We'll spend a little bit more time here. Your new calling in Christ. Since we have a new identity in Christ, we also have a new calling. Ever since Ephesians 4.1, Paul has been challenging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And the verses we look at the past couple of weeks, Paul really has been getting into the nitty-gritty of the specific behaviors. But in our text today, we're going to 
get back up a few levels and look down. We're not going to be in the trenches quite as much. He's going to give us a couple of overarching principles about how to work out this calling that we're called to. So the first principle that he gives us is that we are to walk as children of light. Look at verse 8 through 10 with me. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The main idea here is that we, we are to walk in the new identity that we have in Christ. He said, you were darkness, now you are light. Therefore, walk as a child of the light. Believer, brother, sister in Christ, this is your identity. If you have been transferred from your sin, the kingdom of darkness, and now you've been transferred to the kingdom of Christ, his beloved son, you're in light. Your calling is to walk by that light. We are not darkness anymore. You are not darkness anymore. You are light in the Lord And therefore, we should walk in that light. This is a call to grow in progressive holiness. But what does it mean to walk as children of light? Paul says, walk as children of light. What does that mean? Verse 9, I think he gives us some help here. He gives us a good model. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. To walk as children of light, then, is to walk in a way that orients our life around those things that are good, that are true, and that are right. We have to again and again ask ourselves these questions. Um, Is what I am doing, does it it accord, does it align with the goodness of the character of God? We think about how we walk as children of light. Ask yourself these questions. Is, is what I'm doing today, the things on my plate, do they align with the goodness of the character of God? Is what I'm doing, am I, am I resting in, am I working out, is the way I'm speaking and living today, working out the positional righteousness that I have in Christ? Is it living in line with that? Am I really acting like in Christ I am righteous and I have his righteousness credited to my account? Is what I'm doing true? Am I centering my life around the truth of God's word? With whatever situation's in front of you, is there a truth in God's word that speaks into that situation that maybe would help me reorient how I'm addressing that problem or dealing with that difficult situation? We need to align our lives with all that is good and right and true. The second way that we're to walk as children of light is found in verse 10. Verse 10 says, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern, my translation, the ESV, is translated as essentially a new verb. verb. It's It's a participle. It's actually connected to walk as children of light. We could read this text, walk as text, walk as children of light, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul here is calling us to take up the lost art of discernment. It's tax season right now, and I bet a lot of you are spending time serious time discerning how you can get a bigger return. And so you may be going through and doing itemized deductions. Just a few days ago, I did my taxes. I went through and I did itemized deductions so I could get a larger tax return. What if we did that for our Christian life? What if we did that for the way we follow the Lord on a daily basis? What if we went through and just made an itemized list of all the things going on in our lives and we asked the question on every one of those items, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this something that really makes much of the name of Christ, that brings honor to him, that builds up my brothers and sisters in Christ? 
I want to encourage you to not be passive when you think about walking as a Christian and following after Christ. Paul is calling us to really take up this lost art of discernment. He's calling you to think proactively. And so I challenge you, think proactively. I know life is busy. We have a lot that comes on our plate, and it's very easy to get swept up in the busyness of life and not sit down and take time to think. But I encourage you, think through your life and ask the question, is what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, are these things that I'm investing myself, are my words pleasing to the Lord? So this brings us to our third and final point under this. This is your new calling. I'm sorry. I'm jumping back a page in the notes. So that first principle is that we are to, to walk as children of the light. Um, that we are to, to align our lives with all that is good and right and true. And that we are to be proactively thoughtful. We are to be discerning in the way that we live to please the Lord. The second principle that Paul calls us to as we work out our calling, though, is that we are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Look at verse 11 through 14 with me. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So how are we to relate to the works of darkness? Paul is telling us to take no part in them. How are we to relate to them? We're to have no fellowship, and then we're to expose them. Those are the two ways we're supposed to relate to works of darkness. What does it mean that we are to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness? He doesn't say, don't, don't hear him say, because he's not saying that you're to have no fellowship with those who are engaging in the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul again and again is calling us to be salt and light to the world. He's calling us to invest, to, to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which we are ambassadors. He's never telling us to detach from unbelievers around us. What he is telling us to detach from is the unfruitful works that they are invested in. He says, take no part. The word he uses there is actually a root for the same word that he uses for the fellowship of the believers in the church. When he talks about the intimate connection that believers in Christ, when we are saved and we are grafted into the church, we're supposed to have this koinonia fellowship It's intimate, close, invested relationship together in Christ. Well, he uses that same base word to say we should not be intimately connected to anything that is dark, to anything that is unfruitful and that brings shame to the name of Christ. He also says that it's shameful even to speak about the things that they do in secret. He isn't saying here that we we shouldn't have frank and honest conversations about serious sins. Paul's not saying that we can't talk, have discussions about serious sins. He is saying we shouldn't have conversations about them lightly. I think he is saying they're never the topics for jokes. They're never the topics for gossip. If we're talking about serious sins that need to be, how can we kill that sin? Or how can we help a brother or a sister? Or how can we help our lost friends out of those sins? We're never to take them lightly. We should not have any casual fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Do you have any patterns of habitual sin in your life that you find yourself walking back to again and again? Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, take no part in those sins. You are darkness, now you are light in Christ. He has transferred you from that darkness. He's given you his righteousness. He's made you light. Take no part in that. That's not who you are. Walk in the identity that you have now. Instead, our calling is to expose them. It's the second way to, we're supposed to relate to the unfruitful works of darkness. We're not to have fellowship with them, the works themselves. Instead, we are to expose them. What is this supposed to look like? How are we supposed to expose the unfruitful works of darkness? I believe that as we work out our faith and as we read texts of the scripture, we need to apply them first to ourselves before we step back and apply them to anyone else. And so I would ask the question, is there any sin that you would need to expose? Is there any work of darkness? Is there any sin that you should expose in your life right now before we apply this to the world or to anyone else? We need to dial in on our own hearts. Is there a sin that uh, I should be exposing? So we cannot expect to have victory over sins that stay in the dark. I'm not sure I've ever once conquered a sin or had any degree of victory over a sin that I kind of kept to myself and tried to fight on my own. It's through accountability with brothers and sisters that I've known my greatest victory expose that sin. That's part of the idea that Paul's getting at in verse 13 and 14. The sinful patterns in our lives can only be transformed if they are brought into the light. So we need to expose our sin. First, we need to expose it to God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. We, we need to always, brothers and sisters, be Uh, open and honest and quick to bring our sins to God. He knows, he already knows the sins in our life, but he still calls us and he still desires that we would come to him and expose our sins and share and confess them to him. But in this text, we're not only called to expose them to God, I think also that we are to expose them to one another. He's not, Paul's not calling us to air out our dirty laundry in front of the whole church or a large group of people. I think he is calling us to expose our sins to one another, to bring them into the light. And so I'd want to ask you, do you have a position, do you have a relationship with somebody who knows you, who truly knows you, who you have let into the corners of your life? They've seen the dark nooks and crannies. They know you for all of your strengths, and they know you for your sins and your weaknesses as well. Do you have somebody that you share that level of openness and honesty with? If you haven't, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to, to find somebody. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. As part of the New Testament church, our calling is to be open and to be honest with our sins and to deal with them in the context of the church, to deal with them in relation to our brothers and sisters or to help one another along in the faith. We can't be killing sin on our own. So brother or sister, do you have somebody who is helping you, who's come alongside you, with you to help you kill your sin? And if you don't, why not? I would encourage you and challenge you this morning, if you don't have somebody who who can hold you accountable, who can uh, really speak truth into the dark corners of your life, who knows you for your sins, 
I would encourage you to initiate that relationship. Don't wait for somebody to come and make that relationship happen with you. Make it happen yourself. Take that step. If you enter into that relationship, guarantee they'll probably be awkward. They'll be uncomfortable, some of those early conversations, but it'll become one of the most life-giving relationships you can have in the church. Even in this church, I see the face of brothers that I've shared uh, closeness with transparency with and we've challenged and encouraged one another to walk in holiness over the years and it's through those relationships that I've been molded I've been sculpted and I don't think I would be the same person that I am apart from them by the grace of God and by the help of my brothers by the help of the church of Christ we can grow in holiness Amen. and so I just encourage you Emmanuel Church be, be a church that holds each other accountable be a church that is invested in the eternal souls and the eternal well-being of everyone around you in this room. Start somewhere. You can't invest in everyone in the whole room, but pursue a closeness. Pursue a transparency. Pursue an honestness with somebody in the room who can hold you accountable. So we have to be faithful in exposing our own sins first. There is a sense in which, too, we are called to expose the sins of the world. This is where we can get off base pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Our call, what, what Paul is telling us here in, in exposing sins, we're to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness that the world is engaged in, but expose them. Well, how are we supposed to expose them? We need to be careful when we think about this. I think broadly, generally, there, there are two broad ways in which we expose the works of darkness. We can expose them in an active sense, maybe with words where we speak directly into situations, where we call sin, we call a spade a spade, we call out sin when it's seen, and we try to call people away from that. We may address it, we may expose sin more actively, more directly like that, but I think we also expose it by a godly lifestyle that by its very nature is in opposition to the unfruitful works of darkness in the world. Have you ever had somebody around you just let fly like a flippant curse word or took Jesus' name in vain and they turn around and saw you were there and then immediately started backpedaling? That's something of the idea of the witness that we should be having. That in our presence, our presence should be light into the situation. It should bring conviction, reproof to the hearts of the people around us, even our unbelieving friends. When they're around us, they should see the light of Christ and it should make them uncomfortable to take the Lord's name in vain. It should make them uncomfortable to be talking about the sinful things that they're doing. So we expose it both kind of in a, a passive way with our character of godliness, but we're also called to expose sin directly. Paul never calls us, Jesus never calls us to ignore sin. In our lives or in the world or in our brothers and sisters, we're never to ignore sin. We're never to wink at sin. We're to expose it. We're to address it. We're to deal with it lovingly. There's something about this kind of witness, this light when when we're walking with Christ, when we're walking as children of light, uh, that naturally exposes the darkness around us. Our presence should bring that, uh, that exposure, that gospel light into our homes, into our jobs, into our neighborhoods and families. 
I want to ask us a question, though. So if we're supposed to expose light, right? Paul is saying, expose darkness. Well, how can we be light that exposes evil when we may feel so sinful and inadequate ourselves? You may ask, how can an imperfect follower of Christ like me reflect the blazingly pure and perfect radiant glory of God? We miss the point when we think like that. When we think like that, we, we've set our eyes on ourselves rather than on Christ. It's not about the light within me that exposes the sin of the world. It's about the light of Christ reflected through me, that I'm a vessel that he pours into me and he pours out of me, that Christ's light can reflect to the world and expose the darkness around us. Let me illustrate it this way. I was actually studying this passage a couple of weeks ago. I flew out to Colorado to visit my brother and flight connections make zero sense to me to get to Colorado they sent me down to Orlando Florida and then up to Omaha Nebraska and then down to Colorado I did a zigzag across halfway across the country when I was in Florida I was thinking about this I was just kind of feeling the weight of this text how can I how can I in my sinfulness uh, be a light that exposes the darkness of the world how can I bring the light of Christ and we plane took off from Orlando we started lifting up, we're rising up getting higher and higher, we're flying over the marshland of southern Florida and there's pools just spotted all across the landscape and as the plane is flying by it catches the angle of the sun on those pools and those pools would just suddenly turn into these blazing balls of fire that made my eyes water, I, I couldn't look at them I actually had to look away from it and I thought we are those pools that is how this works. That is how we expose darkness. That is how we reflect the light of Christ. I think some of us may feel like those pools often. They're so far, they're so small, so far away below me in the airplane, so high up above them. And I think we feel that way before God sometimes. How can I be a witness for Christ? I'm, he's so perfect. I'm so imperfect. I deal with my sin on a day-to-day basis. I'm struggling so much of the time, I'm so aware of my sinfulness. How can I reflect the light of Christ? We're just like that pool. We feel so small, feel so far below how high God is exalted. Uh, we feel the, the eddies of algae and sin in our lives. But just like those pools, so f- small, so far away, even with their pockets of algae in them, when the light hit them, it turned them blazingly bright. I had to look away from them. That's the same way that when Christ's light shines into our, our lives, in the same way, he, he creates this blazing reflection of who he is to the world. Especially when we, we talk about our old identity, when we're honest with our sinfulness, when we're honest about the darkness of our sin, then the light of Christ blazes out even more strongly to the world around us. When, when a sinner who's outside of Christ and needs Christ hears about how we too were sinners, we were outside of Christ, we were just like them. But God, being rich in love, oh, he, he saved me, He rescued me, He came back. That will draw people in when they see His light reflected. It's not our light. We are dark in and of ourselves apart from Christ, but he has transformed us, and now he can make us be light for Christ. Before concluding, I want to to notice from the text one final aspect of how we are to reprove or to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 14 says, 
For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How are we to expose darkness in the world? In our hearts, in the church, and in the world, how, do we, how are we to expose darkness? We are to expose darkness with the gospel. This verse is a call, a gospel call for the sinners to wake up and Christ will shine on you. I found the, uh, the commentator Curtis Vaughn especially helpful on this text. He said, quote, This verse may be taken as an example of the way in which reproof is to be administered. That is, the reproof of sinners is to take the form of an urgent call to them to let the light of Christ shine upon them. Its aim is never to be mere rebuke. It <coughs> seeks the conversion of the sinner. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's seek the conversion of the sinner as we try to be lights in the world. We're talking a lot in the church now about how we want to be evangelistic. We want to be faithful with the truth that God has given us. If he's saved us, if he's forgiven us, then we want to be light in the world. We want to be going to our friends, our neighbors, our family members who are outside of Christ well, as we expose the darkness, let's let our motivation always be to call sinners to repentance, to let them see the light of Christ, that it would shine on them. We were once lost in darkness ourselves before Christ broke into our lives and exposed the darkness of our sins and covered us with his light likeness. So let's offer that same hope to those who are around us and are still stumbling in darkness. Before we close, let me ask you, are you walking in darkness apart from Christ? Or are you walking in light through a relationship with Christ? My friends today uh, here who are not following Christ, you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian. Where are you finding your identity? Where are you finding your identity? Do you see the darkness in the world around you? Are your eyes open? Do you see that? Do you see the darkness in your own heart? That Jesus is calling you to wake up and to be honest with yourself. If you were made by Jesus and for Jesus and are supposed to be living for him, then you will never find your true identity, your true calling and fulfillment in life apart from him. He will take the darkness that is in your heart. And he will eradicate it and he will transform you and make you light in Christ. Why would you stay in the darkness when the light is right here? I encourage you, as this verse says, awake, O sleeper, wake up. There was a time where I was asleep, and Jesus thankfully slapped me awake. He, he, I thought a lot of times of just kind of the metaphor. He used like a spiritual two-by-four to wake me up, to help me to see that I was lost, that I was made by him and for him, and I was running from him. And he woke me up. My friend, wake up. He's offering himself to you right here. And he is ready and willing to forgive you. He's ready and willing to transform your life. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you uh, for exposing the sin in my life and the lives of all of my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for 
showing us who we were apart from you and helping us to see our need. Lord, we were blind, and then you opened up our eyes. We were running from you, and you called us to you. Thank you that you took the initiative. Lord, that we weren't smart enough, wise enough to figure it out on our own, but that you just pursued us in love. Lord, thank you that you have called us out of darkness into light. Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters to walk as children of light. I pray that you would help them to rest in their identity in you, that they have your righteousness, that they are accepted, that they are beloved in you. Or they are eternally accepted before the Father. Lord, I pray that you would help them to rest in their identity. They are light now. Help them to walk it out. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful and victorious in killing sin. I pray that you would help us to to overcome the works of darkness in our hearts and our lives that, that are still mingled in. I pray that you'd help us to totally eradicate, to cut them out of our lives. And I pray that you would help us to be a church that holds each other accountable, that spurs one another on, and that helps one another in that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be a faithful witness to the world around us. I pray that you would help us to share, uh, boldly and lovingly share the same good news and the same light that opened up our eyes and that brought uh, light into the darkness in our lives. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for bringing lights into this dark world. Thank you for bringing the free offer of grace and forgiveness. And I pray that anyone who's outside of you, anyone who doesn't identify as a Christian, doesn't identify as having a relationship with you, that they would see you for who you are, uh, that they would hear and believe that you really do love them. You really do. You really have given your life for them and you really will accept them through faith and save them. Lord, I pray that you would do that by your grace. In Jesus name. Amen. We're going to respond to God's word by singing the song Before the Throne.